So today on the Wolf Brothers podcast, we have Mark Toner. What's crack, Mark? Very little today, just fucking more time at the computer. Mm. Wish, wishing my life was over. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark is the owner of CrossFit Infected in Newcastle? Hey, Castle Allen, just outside Newcastle, sort of five miles away. Mm. And Mark, I met you for the first time in person at an ayahuasca ceremony last year um, and we've been in contact since but I had noticed you on Ronan O'Brien's Brett Wave on a Wednesday night um, before that um, mm-hmm. the, the Zoom Brett Wave that Ronan does which I've seen you're doing yourself now in person in the gym which mm-hmm. we'll touch on in a, in a little bit but from all the conversations we've had I was you have your own podcast the Mark Toner podcast which I had a chat with you on before. Um, But in all these conversations, we've never spoken about um, the young Mark Toner. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because you touched on a few things when we were having our chat um, that I was quite interested in. Um, When I was telling my story and you were relating to it with things like addiction and things like that. So what I'm going to ask you what you asked me, what was it like? Uh, for Mark Toner growing up? Mm. It's interesting because I spend a lot of time thinking about that these days and kind of reflecting on it. Uh, it wasn't a happy experience. There wasn't. And, and yet sometimes I'm aware that like our brains are wired to look back on things and kind of pluck out the negatives and make that the main focus. So I, I, I do remember many happy times, but I I, feel, I I did a podcast re- recently with a girl that is has been a mentor to me re- over the past couple of years, Rachel Bell, and she said something on it that I've been really reflecting on a lot since, that most teenagers are on the brink of suicide and society makes no acknowledgement of that, as in you, it's partly our culture, it's partly... Ireland has as many issues as as we all know with the the addictive side of us and the fact that we come from a cultural background that's based in fear. Uh, And that's how I would probably have described like when I was old enough to kind of understand the world, I really felt like I didn't want to be in it. your younger years, like I, I always played sport and that was in a lot of ways enjoyable, but we, but I never had kind of mentors that could, you could bounce anything off other than just keep playing harder, keep pushing harder. There was never, I suppose the way to look at it now, knowing what we know is, you know, uh, human beings have feminine and masculine energy. I, nobody talks about the feminine side, so I didn't know that the feminine side existed. So I just went from sport and endeavor to sport and endeavor, pushing myself. And I, I, what I know now is I was permanently living in fight or flight, or it was permanently like I would describe what I have as post-traumatic stress, and it just continued throughout my life. Uh, I, I don't remember any of it being fun. I, the, interestingly, like in secondary school, there was 
we had we brought football like someone would bring a football into the school and we play football at lunchtime and then something weird happened about third year where they changed the break and i ended up on the break with half the school that weren't interested in football so like we had our lunch everybody had their lunch at 12 o'clock for the first three years and then they changed something and i had my lunch at 12 and half the school had their lunch at 20 to 1. And I remember thinking at this time, fuck, what am I going to do? Because in the gap between going to classes, I entertained myself with playing football. And we played matches every day was the Champions League final in school. Like we were fucking all in. And that was, I was always an athlete. I was always big. I was always fit. I was always fast. So that was more just masculine drive, just pushing, pushing, pushing. And when that changed, I used to, my ma used to give me three pounds to go for lunch, to buy your lunch at school. But because I was so paranoid, I'd take the three pounds, go to the vending machines and buy a bottle of water and three Mars bars. And this was my diet for four or five years. I'd go and sit in the toilets and eat Mars bars. I always drunk water because I listened to the dentist when I was younger and he was like, don't be drinking Coke or any of that shit. So it was a weird dad. <laughs> I was like, fucking water, but then get the Mars bars in. And there was no point in any of this experience where like, I see what you lads are doing and that's so profound here. Like people don't, it's a conversation I, I, I have with my partner every day because I'm so into this world now is like, people don't have avenues to express themselves. Mm. So essentially the, the trauma that I experienced and the, you know, generational trauma growing up in an environment of alcoholism, growing up in an environment that had uh, communication was through physical violence. You know, you weren't, it wasn't about expressing yourself. It was, you were told what to do. And if you didn't do it, you, there would be physical violence as a result of it. And, we're st- we from the work that we're doing, we're out of this a little, and we're you know we're through our shit, and we hope that it'll never get that bad again. But most of the world's walking about still as a five year old, and I find I find that I'm going off on a tangent here, but I find I just find it challenging sometimes. Like we can live in this enlightened place, and we can understand. The problems, like I did breath work yesterday morning and I was in tears during it. And I was saying to my partner, Leah, she was like, what was it about? And I was like, it was the empathy for what's happening in the world and how asleep most people are. Because as, as we know ourselves, until you're faced with a crisis, you don't ever start looking at it. So most people are walking about numb. And that's how I would describe, you know, most of my experience was partly numb and partly highly charged aggressive and just fucking fluctuated between them two so it was carnage yeah (laughs) here we are (laughs) and mike what was you talked about you lived um growing up in that masculine energy where was the turning point there? What was the, was it the crisis that you spoke about or where was the turning point where you started tapping into that feminine as well? The feminine thing is, is, is definitely much more recently. 
definitely much more recently, but there was a significant event, I suppose, that happened in my life. And I was in bed one morning and like I, w- I was one of them guys that uh, like I went to university, I went to Queen's University in Belfast. I, I always did enough to get the grades. So the education path was always the option. I, my brother dropped out of school at, and I know, I know your two story and how it was two separate paths. We kind of had the same thing. Uh, so I, a significant event happened when I was 13 and I got a, I was lying in bed and I was like, fuck mom and dad have forgot to get us up from school, up for school jackpot. Like we're going to get a sick day here or like in my head at a 13 year old thinking they forgot to set an alarm. And I can still see it now as, as it happened. And they opened the bedroom door and they were like, yeah, I, I was aware there was, there was a bit of commotion and then it, it was something along the lines of your grandfather's dead. And I was like, oh, and turns out he, my grandfather was, it had become apparent to us that there was something off with him. But again, we're only 13, so we don't really understand that alcohol is a thing. But there was a couple of events that had happened. Uh, he was sitting out, he, we were going up to get an ice cream one time and there was people standing outside a bar and he was, he was drunk and it, like mum was trying to get us away from him as she did because she didn't want us to see him in that state and then there was another time quite soon after that where we came across him in like a back alley like face planted into the ground and so his life was deteriorating I, but we were just on that age where it was not really making sense so there was no, I couldn't, I, at that point, I wasn't aware that it was the alcoholism that caused him to take his life. But he, uh, it's interesting now that I'm in the cold water and I very much see this as it couldn't have happened any other way because it didn't. Uh, he, in the middle of January, his anniversary, his 21 year anniversary is on the 21st of this month, which is the day after my birthday. I got a phone call actually on, on the Sunday night from him and because he'd phoned and he was a different person when he was talking on the phone, I couldn't wait to get off the phone. This was the night before he had died. Uh, so that's kind of conversation always like kind of puts the hers up on the back of my neck a wee bit when I think about it, knowing what I know now, you know, and having like, imagine I could have that conversation with him. Now I could obviously change the situation. So he, it was well-planned. He had a breeze block and he got, and he drilled holes in the breeze block and he took the car out of his house and reversed it back down a pretty main road. Uh, but it was at like one o'clock in the morning or, or 11 PM, maybe at night, it was late on a Sunday evening anyway. And he tied the breeze block around his neck and drowned himself in probably like, like eight, eight to 10 feet of water in the middle of January. So I remember we were off school for a while. There was the funeral and stuff. Uh, it was rope burns that were on his wrists and like the part obviously where he panicked and tried to, you know, maybe get himself out or what, whatever that, that was, although it was pretty well meditated. So maybe that isn't what happened. I'm just speculating. But then when we went back to school, I remember getting on the bus to school and obviously you're the guy that was 
800 people maybe in St. Louis Grammar School in Kilkeel that I went to and like you're the guy who has to go back to school as the guy whose house is a crazy house or you know whatever like ideas people created about the environment so from that point forward life never really made sense and the matrix came out somewhere around that time like in that year the movie the movie <laughs> and my ma took me to watch the matrix and i remember i was i was young like i was 13 14 and i was looking at this screen and it just resonated and from that point forward i could never even i, I just wanted to be alone I always just wanted to be alone. My favorite place was in my bedroom on my own because I had no time for small talk. I had no time for bullshit. But I mean, the question when the feminine, I was always aware there was something much bigger in this experience, but the feminine thing has really, I've dabbled in and out of, you know, understanding it when it was in Brisbane and Australia, I found the energy quite different. I suppose it's worth noting, like I'm, I live in Northern Ireland. Like we are a worn, torn country. It's still divided. Like CrossFit Infected has been open for eight years and we're a welcoming community that has people from all different backgrounds here that come to our gym. Hey, prior to that, in areas like this, Catholics don't mix with Protestants or vice versa. Uh, that's very much a new thing up here. So so to be in touch with feminine, I would I would say that it's the last couple of years really, and and massively psychedelics that have you know led me down that path. Mm. And now that you just touched on the the psychedelics, there was there's one thing I wanted to ask you. It was when it, it was the day I met you down um, at that ayahuasca retreat at the psychedelics. Yeah, and I was describing an experience I had on psychedelics, um, where I where the feeling I had was it was as if every bad feeling I'd ever had I was feeling it all at once. I just didn't want to live. Um, it was like the weight of it was it was like the only way I can describe it was like a truck had reversed over my chest and it was weighing me down. Um, and I just wanted to die because I can remember saying out loud, I want to, like, I want to die. I can't feel this anymore. And you were nodding your head and you, and you, you really seemed to resonate with it. Um, and you mentioned the feeling of being suicidal. Um, what, if you don't mind, what point in your life were you, are you obviously feeling that at some point? Mm. When, when was that? Uh, it was 2018. It was December 2018. Uh, I suppose to kick the story back a little. So went to university. So fuck, struggled through school like every like every kid does. Every kid who doesn't go to the Wolf Academy, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so struggled through school. Went to university. Just picked a degree. It was in business management. My dad was a manager of a, of a company and. I kind of felt I'd go in this direction, like complete aimless experience. Came out of school, came out of university with a two-one master's degree in business management and computer systems analysis. Uh, it was in the middle of the credit crunch, like the financial crisis of was it 2011, maybe. So I played golf for a year and used to beat all these old men at golf, and that was my income for, for like 
a whole maybe 18 months used to play the, the old boys on a Tuesday a, a Thursday and then on a Sunday although the better players come out on a Sunday so you didn't win as much on a Sunday and then I went to live in Brisbane in Australia I got into personal training went to live in Brisbane manifested at that time I was into the secret and I was into the ability that we we all create our own realities I manifested a dream job these guys, these Greek brothers, there was three of them invested. They put a they put a order in for Rogue, which is like the main equipment sponsor for CrossFit. They put an order in for a quarter of a million, as well as kit out this massive facility. A uh, three months into the new job, I my previous employers told immigration that I didn't do my farm work. I ended up back in Dublin airport with like 200 quid to my name. So I was back living with my parents, open CrossFit infected with very little kind of business knowledge and struggled through that for the first four years. It was enjoyable in parts. We, de- we delivered, you know, a great service. It was a great experience for our members, but myself and Leah, a, my partner who, has experienced their own losses, lost her mother when she was 21. Uh, we were kind of struggling mentally and business-wise, and I, my life started to get really dark. It felt like there was a cloud, or it was like a, like a winter's day always in my head. And I started to think, how the fuck can I get out of this? And I remember looking at the rig one day in, in the gym, the, a, tic, a particular point in the in the center of the rig, and I was like, "That's where I'll hang myself." And like even dramatizing the whole idea of it being this thing of visualizing people coming in and you know finding me just hanging there and thinking like almost like a fuck you to to the world in some kind of way. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and then the. Thankfully, and when I when I say about like masculine energy, I was so trapped in that masculine that I did not speak about emotions. I was I was that dude who didn't cry for you know since I was nine till I was fucking twenty nine kind of thing. Like uh, I would, I was living just always on the edge. Um, we were in the. It was getting. It was getting to the point where I needed to do something and it was either hang myself and get out of here. Uh, and I had a blueprint for that because I've seen it happen in my family. So it, it, it made sense. I knew it was an option, which it, it's terrifying to think that it could have went that way uh, looking back on it. But thankfully, my auntie, when she lost her father, who was my grandfather, she also had an awakening and went into being a mind wellness expert. So she has traveled the world, a coaching like it, it, now she's very much developed her own thing. But initially, it was emotional freedom therapy, a EFT, or a version of it called faster EFT. And she has now developed like her own package that's um, mind wellness that ties in like neuro-linguistic programming and a her main thing is inner child work mm. so she's in the gym and it was december of that year 
and I poop. This was this was probably the biggest thing that I ever did in my life. This was the most feminine thing I ever did in my life. At that point, I put my hand on her back, and I was like, "Can I speak to you after class?" And I like mumbled the words out. And she says, "Now we've done like she's on my podcast, and we've done loads of podcasts about this since." Uh, she said she thought it was going to be about a rowing technique or about something in the gym. <laughs> so we went into the office and I just cried like 20 years of trauma. Mm. Went out, uh, and from that, it became this journey of like, to the point that it nearly got obsessive about trying to understand the mind and trying to understand how we work and trying to, I got really into Dr. Joe Dispenza and his kind of stuff and meditation has meditation is, is meditation and breath work are probably my most favored two practices. And, you know, like we all do, we slip on them and sometimes, and then we get back into them. So that journey has been 2018 ended to today. I don't even remember what the question was now, but neither do I, but yeah, <laughs> um, it's, it's fascinating. Just listen listening to your story um because i think it does it probably resonates with a lot of people listening even myself <clears throat> even yeah. though i never got to the point where i thought of taking my own life but i think i had a similar like experience in terms of not crying for years i remember yeah since probably around nine as well or whatever until i got to I think it was like 25 or something. And I just, it all just came out flooding one day, but um, it never stops now. I know I cry. Every I, day. I am the same. I, yeah. I cry every week. If a week happens where I don't cry, there's something mm. wrong. Yeah. yeah, And it can feel very good. It's beautiful. It's great. You can. Yeah. There's actually something in your tears that releases some, um, feel good chemical. Cause it, I don't know. I can't remember how it works, but, um, what was I about to say? But yeah, like, it's so powerful just to hear you talking about that. Like obviously like myself and Daryl be quite open about that stuff as well, but there's, it's not that often that you come across men, especially like in the fitness industry or whatever, like yourself, you've tattoos, you're mostly like, it's, I think it shocks people even to hear us talk about that sort of stuff. And I think it's so like, I appreciate just your honesty there with sharing that and it definitely resonated with me. Um, and I just was thinking back to what you said, what your mentor said to you about every team is probably on the brink of suicide. Um, and obviously that's the work we're trying to do. Um, but what do you think it is that leads us to that? I, yeah, I know it's probably maybe not expressing your emotions is kind of what you said, but what is there some other, something else going on like, Say for men, for now, for example, like, or from your experience, what do you think is that thing that makes us want to, you know, think about, I don't want to be here anymore or whatever. What is that, that darkness or that demon? I, so many avenues, like so many different reasons behind it. Ultimately, you could package them all in the need for external validation to as we know, and I mean, the healing never stops, but as, as we're well aware that if, if, if anybody's opinion of you is more important than your opinion of yourself, you're in trouble. We live in a culture today that is built around 
trying to be somebody you're not. And I mean, we have this really old brain that seeks safety. And now we have technology in our hand that within three seconds, there's an option for me to look for external validation. There's an option for me to have a look at something in two seconds and my mind is already comparing and saying I'm not enough. And when we're, I suppose like the powerful change that's happening in the world is men like us sitting and having conversations like this and, and having the, having the balls in some ways to, you know, record this and put it somewhere in 2018. Eiler, I wasn't open to it, which, which is part of the reason. And the other part of the reason is it wasn't available here. Like, like we're quite a, I, I think about this often when I think about my grandfather. And even when I think about like, like, like Conor McGregor's rise to success, we're wild motherfuckers on this Island. Hmm. Especially up north, anyway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, one hundred percent. And it's and often we're wild motherfuckers based on our cultural background on this idea that we're the, the drunken Irish, wild, like we're the fighting nation. It's what we're known for. All this stuff didn't happen by accident. And even if I do, I, I followed Conor McGregor's journey. I talk about him often in the podcast. I went to Vegas twice for both of his title fights. I was, I was into, I fought Muay Thai in Australia and like I was into that world. And now when I look at him, he's ticking off the cultural boxes. He's a billionaire and he opened a pub. He sells whiskey. Like we don't have role models. We don't have people here. One one thing that really changed my outlook back in the day was in Roy Keane's book. He said, whenever Ireland show up to the World Cup, they're there for the piss up. And then they fuck off before the Spanish, the Brazilians, the Portuguese, the French, the people who want to take it seriously. Now, obviously, he was training in the Ireland team coming from Manchester United like the elite of the elite, but he was going back to his cultural way then, his, his like we're the piss heads. And I, I think the change that is probably common is, is the need for maybe role models that, like, again, take Conor McGregor, for example, he's went to now billionaire superstar status. He's no longer a role model to anybody because the, the chances of it are few and far between. So to to stop younger people a struggling in the way that I did, it, it's going to take this kind of conversation, this kind of work, and then people to maybe gather a, a bit of a reputation around it or to gather, you know, some support around it. Like one of the big things, I know me and Daryl have shared this before, is like when, when we first met each other at a ayahuasca, like men embracing with a hug. Mm. I hugged my dad probably two, maybe two months ago now. For the first time in maybe fuck 25, 27 years. And that took me two years of plant medicine ceremonies. <laughs> took me probably <laughs> in 500 breathwork sessions. <laughs> took me 
to drive down and think about doing it and you turn and drive home. And it was actually after ayahuasca that I went and spoke to him because I couldn't connect and I couldn't communicate. Now there was a wee bit of like, or quite a lot of like resentment for the way that things happened in our house. But as I said to him in the conversation, I was like, I know that you have spent your life regardless of regardless of how closed off you were emotionally because because nobody speaks like this man do not if i was fucking closed off he was 10 times more closed off and his dad was fucking 100 times more closed off and his dad was living in a cave like that's what we've kind of came from and uh, as i said to him and i mean i cried in front of him which the last time I showed any emotion like that towards him, because for a lot of it had been numb. The last time I was trying to fight him, which was 20 years or 15 years prior to that. And I said to him, I goes, one thing I know dad throughout all of this is you've tried your best. Nearly makes me emotional now thinking about it. Like if I thought about it too long, I could cry here now, but I know you've tried your best and you've given me what you never had. Because if, if our situation at home was was pretty fucking wild. Yours must have been wild because that's where you learned it. But in the modern world, in today's world, thankfully with the internet, the powerful side of the inter- internet is we have knowledge now that they didn't have. You know, now we understand emotions. We understand duality, feminine and masculine energy. We understand that you can meditate and control how you respond to your thoughts fuck growing up in northern ireland in the in the 70s and 80s where everybody wanted to kill you i mean how how could you not be terrified and how could you not then influence that on your children in some way especially coming from like my dad has done reasonably well financially in his life reasonably well i mean he's not nothing crazy but i mean he's he has a good job and a, and a, and a and a good business and a good business head on him. He came from fuck all. Five of them slept in the same room. So, so I'm much more aware of that now. And I suppose the, I suppose the work that I want to do moving forward is to is to make sure people don't go as far as my grandfather went, or as far as you know I was starting to plan to go towards. And I think that's maybe what this, you know, what COVID is and what all, if you can zoom out of it all, what's really happening here is the world is waking up and we're finding out that it's actually powerful for men to say, you know what, I like to have a cry sometimes as opposed to let's be harder and harder and harder. Like I had imagined, Daryl, if I had met you 10 years ago, like on, a, on an experience, no, but we wouldn't have been at an experience on that, but it would have been a, a strange energy between us. Mm. Okay. Been a lot of looking and trying to, or, you know, all that kind of shit. Yeah, hundred percent. I actually thought about that. It was funny. I was thinking about that recently. Um, how different it would have been if we had met years ago. And like what you said there about not hugging your father for 25, 27 years. He's the one man on this planet that I still struggle with. The one and only. Mm. Like, I can easily hug a stranger. Anyone. Honestly. But I still struggle with my father. Now, I've done it. I was only saying this to Amanda recently. There was one night I went and I hugged my mother and my father. But it's like, spur the moment. 
that I'll do it. If I think about that, I'm not doing it. Mm. I still struggle. It even came to me on a um, in a plant medicine journey to hug them every day. And it's the one thing from that journey I just couldn't integrate. So, or not every day, every time I see them. Because I don't yeah, see them every, day, but every time I see them, just give them a hug. It's the one thing I couldn't integrate. It's when it comes down to it, I bottle it. There's a, there is still a block there. Mm-hmm. Um, My dad's absolutely not up for this, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't... <laughs> He was pushing me off like some kind of like fucking GAA tackle. I was like, relax. And then I had to abandon it. And then I'd got into a pattern of I've seen him like three times and he was game for it. And then we were outside the gym one day. That was in public. Mm. Next thing he's pushing me off again. And I and then I said to him, you know what, dad? We're just going to fist pump because you're not comfortable with it. And I don't want to make you uncomfortable. But occasionally I'll be like, right hug but he phoned me it's actually my birthday tomorrow and he phoned me this week and he was like do you want to play golf and i was like what <laughs> yeah i want it like i because i said to him when i i went and kind of told him everything one morning it was after ayahuasca and uh and what i become aware of is like i actually asked him to do a podcast too he wasn't up for that because they culturally and generationally, that this doesn't exist. No, you're weak, or or the other thing is you're gay. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And like, oh, like in relation to our father, he's actually he's becoming more open with things because yeah. he would be the other, the opposite end of that spectrum. Like you know, to what we're on. Like even his his all his brothers. How many brothers does he have? Like there's like five of them, four. Um, yeah, there's six, um, six like sons. In the yeah, family, six. Yeah. So there's he five brothers. Every one of them completely closed off. It's it's like nothing I've ever seen before, actually. Um, with with his particular family for whatever reason, and it's in the, it's in the male side of our family. Um, it really isn't. Um, it's like a deep sadness, <clears throat> or and like it's just yeah, trying to protect themselves from any emotion. Yeah, yeah, it's come to me many times in ceremony. I've been told by different um, people I've met to really look into that. But um, on that side of the family, whatever it is, but um, there's something I was going to say. What you were saying about the way for, say, your parents not to influence you with some way from the trauma that they had. Mm. I think that's one thing that I kind of held on to when I started doing this work on myself and realizing some of the conditioning that I had, there was a bit of blame there then. Um, whenever I would, whenever I would see my mother or father, whenever I'd see them do or say something and I'm like, that's why I'm like that. Mm. And I'm like getting annoyed about that. That not now, but I was, um, it was annoying me at the start because I was thinking back to, the years that that affected me, but it was obviously now I know it's not their fault. You know, it's only coming back down. That was just at the start. I was, when I started looking at myself and realizing that but something, it was actually something that Ronan O'Brien said that really gave me a bit of peace. It was in a breathwork session. It was just forgive. You need to like, not you need to forgive everyone because everyone is just doing the best that they can with the conditioning they have. I don't think he said it in them words, but I realized even, even the things that people have done to me that, like, I'll go as far as to say I hated them for, mm. it's like they were still 
actually only doing the best with what they had to keep them safe. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, no matter what the thing is, they are actually doing the best with what they can. It's like trying to keep themselves safe. They just literally can't do any better than that in that at that time. You know, mm-hmm. it's it kind of it gives me a lot of peace anyway, in a way. Um, and I have to remind myself of that. It's not constantly at the forefront. Yeah, of my mind. Same, yeah. Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. constantly at the forefront of my mind, but I I can reconnect <clears throat> with that, and it does give me a lot of peace. Um, there's something I wanted to touch on there. Yeah. Um, in regards to um plant medicine, when what was it that brought you down that road, or how did you get introduced to it, or a bit of Is background on that? Favorite topic. Uh, I grew up taking ecstasy, <laughs> so I played. <laughs> I played, and it's it's funny because I always look back on this. I on, until recently, I look back on this period as like a terrible time in my life, and then I realized that that's the time when I was fucking hugging everybody. Mm. Yes, yeah. So MDMA ecstasy was a, was a powerful experience. And I think we have got culturally, we've got everything wrong about drugs. There should be education about them and there should be an understanding about them because I know the pain that alcohol brings to a family. Uh, and yet ecstasy with education can definitely open up doors of connecting to a feeling that now we can get from breath work and meditation, which is that like, universal love that's available to all so i'm 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 very suspicious about how alcohol is pushed in society and how it's i go to belfast into the city on thursdays uh, to do muay thai with my coach and outside the gym there's a massive heineken sign on the wall massive and i'm like that's a drug but every time that drug's sold the government make one pound in tax. So we look at the amount of that liquid sold in a city. There's massive, massive, massive profits. You get three pills for a tenner and they're illegal. So it doesn't go through any kind of system like that. So it's something definitely, I'm not, I'm not promoting any of that, but I'm just saying we have to question everything and we have to, wonder why we're the drunken Irish and or and this is worldwide I suppose this is bigger than Ireland the, the, the world has a drink problem or, or a numbing problem and it's how them how them substances work in regards to psychedelics I, I was a Joe Rogan fan from like podcast 50 or something like really early on and he used to bring on like UFC fighters and stuff that I was into. And then occasionally he would bring on Aubrey Marcus or Graham Hancock or one of these guys who talked about these plants. And I was like, I have no recollection of like, like this conversation now kind of stops for me. I was always intrigued, but I used to think like them lucky motherfuckers, like they get to experience that in the part of the world that they're in. And I would have never considered, like, instead of, I went to Ibiza for 10 summers in a row. I would never have thought, I'll not go to Ibiza this year. I'll maybe go to Peru or somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd have made more sense. But so I listened to the, those podcasts and I always disconnected with that point, but was super intrigued about it. And then COVID came. Uh, 2018 was. Uh, 
December was the year I was like kind of suicidal. 2019, I got so into trying to understand how the mind works. A that I was in a good place. I was mad. I was doing Dr. Joe Dispenza's meditations for an hour in the morning and then an hour in the evening. And I was in a really solid place. I mean, CrossFit, in fact, it was way bigger than it was now. Uh, financially, it was doing quite well. But I, but I wasn't, I wasn't really like a hundred percent on top of my own healing. I would feel good if I meditated, but if it didn't meditate, I'd quickly slip back into crisis. COVID hit, and. The world went into panic and we went into panic as well, like any kind of business owner that was shut down because it was our, what I noticed now, like fitness was so much of a survival mechanism in, in our lives. And I, we, we ended up launching an online program. So our gym's CrossFit Infected and we launched Infected Lifestyle and it was going quite well. We had over 300 people at one point around Ireland signed up to the program and it was moving in the right direction. But the problem with it was that we had to video, I think it was seven workouts a week. You got to work out every day and it was all on Instagram. So there was a whole load of technical stuff behind it, which required myself and Leah to be fit enough to be able to make the videos. And I got injured. We were training outside because we did. We went down to the gym to shoot the videos and we would train and do the workouts ourselves and put it up on Instagram and create a whole kind of energy around like the daily workout. So we were doing the workout and I got injured and I had this injury that kept reoccurring. This like strain up my whole side, like trap would freeze up and I wouldn't be able to turn my neck for about a week. So I was fucking raging. I went upstairs, opened Netflix, was pulling hard on a cannabis pen and the first movie that came up was called psychedelics it had sting and uh, like a few other musicians and stuff in it and I, and I was like fuck now's the time so i watched it and i was like right there must be a way to find this and kind of doors opened along those lines my first experience was psilocybin on my own and it was very much a as Ram Das talks about, like it was an outer body experience where I was like, fuck, I, there's, so, there's, there's so much more to this existence than just being who I thought I was, which is Mark Toner in this meat suit, as opposed to, I mean, like how deep do you want to go? Like, as opposed to being like a fucking vessel of life force that is uh, like, what, what is this human experience? I think about that quite often. Like what, like how do these hands work? What the fuck is this? What, how do I make noises with my mouth? But <laughs> <laughs> from there, I, I ended up in a Wachuma or a San Pedro ceremony and I had never done breath work before. And in that ceremony, my body was consciously breathing like that diaphragm moving out that big inhale i was i was lying in a field sprawled out on my back connected to pachumama breathing with the earth is the only way i could describe it the next prior to that sorry before that i was face down in tears healing the pain of my grandfather and the trauma of our family releasing it from my body like a I, I'm sure I cried for a, probably a solid hour 
like releasing everything and then rolled onto my back and went naturally into the breath wave. And from then, I, 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 I go back often to these experiences. And the reason why is, is I feel like culturally we're sick and you go and have an experience like that and you come back cleansed, hmm. but you come back into this culture and you're around energies and I'm naturally an empath and I feel people's energies. I take on board energies and with everything that's happening COVID wise now, I feel like any time that I spend out amongst people, I have to go inward to cleanse again from it because there's so much. I mean, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about this, like 90 something percent of the population he reckons is fully unconscious living in survival patterns. So it's hard when you have empathy and you want the world to experience what you have experienced and you realize that everybody is just fucking terrified and their life they get up in the morning and their life is a pattern of the day before. And they do this for X amount of years. As, as Terence McKenna talks about, you can go from the cradle to the grave and never experience what we are. Mm. Just definitely. Yeah. Well, I, I was just kind of flashing back to my own kind of initial experience when you were talking about that. And uh, yeah, I think it's something that, you can't even explain, <clears throat> really. You just have to experience. What was it? Um, to be honest, my first big spiritual experience was actually psilocybin as well, up in in Mexico, up in this uh, called a mushroom mountain. But uh, <laughs> um, tell him what happens when you go in and have a look at you. And oh yeah, your man. Yeah, he was like, it was weird. It was um, myself and. <clears throat> Uh, one of my mates were just there and we weren't really thinking we were thinking of doing it but then we we're like oh what's that fella over there and then we went over there's a couple of people chatting to this fella and he was like the shaman basically and <clears throat> you just told him what we we're looking for to do some of the mushrooms or whatever and he kind of looks at you and just you know takes an eye of you and then goes and gets you a specific mushroom for you um and it was just this one big i just had one really big ass mushroom and uh just put it in some uh, hot chocolate, actually, or cacao or whatever. But um, and we just went up to this place. <clears throat> it was like a beautiful view on the mountain. We actually climbed on top of a an old abandoned school, which I thought was kind of ironic. Was the I just had this complete drank the hot chocolate or whatever, and I lay back on the roof of this building and just went completely to a different universe or whatever um like i couldn't actually see my head it was just gone like i could not see what i looked like um and all of this kind of dark stuff was coming out of me but then i just i felt i never felt so connected or um so i suppose everything and i know that's what a lot of people say you just feel connection to everything and as well but i had lots of visions of like that's actually where the vision for wolf academy came from i saw a tattoo in my arm on my right forearm and I just thought of like Daryl and my brothers and my close friends back home and it was just like a message like you need to go home and follow your path and with your close family and friends um but I got loads of like you know insights and things and it seemed like anything I actually wanted to ask was just answered like immediately um and I just remember after that experience 
just feeling so at peace that I was like, oh my God, it's like everything's already kind of mapped out. You don't have to worry so much. You know, I used to be one that's always like trying to plan things and like create things and, you know, have a vision for the future. And um, I kind of realized in that moment how, you know, I felt like I was brought there for a reason and I was on top of an old school for a reason and everything just seemed already written in some sense. And I was like, you know, there's no need to panic. There's, there's more going on than you think and you're not in as much control as you think you are. Like while you, you obviously you can influence your life, um, but there is a greater mission or path for all of us, I think. And it's whether we answer that call or not. Um, because you're always going to get hints towards it or you're going to be pushed towards it. And most people spend most of their lives probably just like ignoring those calls or that intuition. Um, so yeah, it was just completely changed my whole outlook on life and just gave me that peace that I'd never felt um, that everything was going to be fine and there was like nothing to worry about. So I always wonder like, how can you, I'm not saying that everyone should do psychedelics or whatever. Um, like you can get the same powerful experiences on breath work um, and other ways, meditation, but probably take a bit longer. But yeah. I'm like, how, like, how can you get people who are maybe unconscious to it all and stressed and anxious and depressed to, you know, experience something like that um, in a safe way? Um, but then again, not everyone is, is ready for or wants to experience that because sometimes I think when you start on the path, I think there's a Chinese saying, it's like once you start, you, you need to go all the way. So I think maybe some people aren't meant to do them either and just meant to, you know, live normal, happy lives. And well, for some reason or another, I felt like I was pulled onto the path and now I'm happy to just see it out. Yeah, it's strange. The My podcast started, my first three podcasts, or it's, it's the first, the second, and the fourth one, I think, is about my grandfather, so my auntie, so it was her dad. And mm. it's like six hours of content where we tell our story. She talks about in depth meeting, going to the river and, and taking her dad out of the river and how the direction that her life went in to, you know, understand the mind. And then somewhere in about, I've done my, la my previous podcast was 100 or 101. And somewhere in there, my podcast became a psychedelics podcast where the the direction completely shifted so i've been reflecting on this as uh, on on my journey as well like people will message me quite often and say like fuck it's mad to be listening to your podcast for you know coming on two and a half years and we can see your life course it's really evident because I, I try and be super honest with it and this is the thing that I've come up against a lot lately. And I, and I spend a lot of time. My favorite thing on a Saturday night is a, is a small bit of cannabis and listening to Terrence McKenna. And fuck it. I honestly believe maybe everybody should take psychedelics. Mm. <laughs> Even just once because, and that's not to force it on anybody, but I feel like if you're listening to this and you're intrigued, maybe explore it. Because I don't like, I'm, I'm assuming that the three of us don't regret it. No. And the more and more people I talk about, 
they don't regret it. Now, that's not to say that set and setting isn't massively important. Usually, yeah. Like, like there's a way to do it. It's not just go for it today, but go for it. <laughs> yeah, look. Yeah. I was thinking about that the other day. I was, I was like, if everybody even had one experience, because one experience with that, just to even feel, just to, to realize how much more there is to you as a person, that you're so much more than what you see and who you think you are. Mm-hmm. Like, we are, like... For me, like I just really feel like there were like the experience I always get is that we're just these balls of energy. Yep. And we get conditioned in a certain way, and that's how we end up going around reacting to everything. Until we start noticing what we are, and then we have to like unlearn these things and like relearn again. But it's like I had a I actually had a um it was like a vision in a, well, not a vision. It was just it kind of came to me in a meditation last week at, at a retreat. I was at, it was a non-psychedelic retreat. Um, but there was a lot of meditating and stuff. And there was this, I cannot remember what was being said. But I just remember thinking like how we were like, I don't know how I'm going to explain this. <laughs> this is one of them ones that's not easy to explain. <laughs> I could just see the earth, okay? And like the earth produces, if you want to say, all of us, everything that's living, okay, has come from the earth. And the animals, the trees, everything is so in tune with the earth, bar us humans, okay? It was like, and I could just... It was like we're all being produced and the earth has so much patience with us and um, so much understanding for how fucked up we are. And it's like we're going around just destroying it mindlessly, you know, mindlessly destroying it. And all we have to do is basically ask the earth for help, whether it's true plant medicine or whatever. Mm. Um, like they're there for us to use. And if we reach out and get that help, like I've had so many experiences where I feel like the earth is taking my pain and what do you say? Composting it. Maybe, do you know, taking my pain, taking my fears, taking whatever it is I need to release out. I can feel the earth taking it from me um, at times. And it's like just in the meditation, I was, I just couldn't, I don't know. It was um, like, you spoke about empathy. I don't know what I was feeling. It was like, it was just this strong longing that I suppose everyone would wake up. And I was mm. like, if everyone had a, one experience where they could feel that connection, how connected we actually are to the earth, there's no way that people could keep living the way they're living. Mm. Like you just couldn't. Well, some people probably could, but the majority wouldn't. It's just that they're so asleep and so numbed off to what we are and what the earth is and how it's all so connected. It's like it's like such a 2D life or mm. something that most people are lens that most people are looking through. And I think like I've said this, I've spoke to different friends about this that aren't into it and they're very intrigued by it. Mm. But something, there's a block there. It's like they don't want to know it's maybe yeah. It's free, fear of maybe having to change or, or mm. a fear of 
ending up wanting to change because mm-hmm. it is a long road and it's it's um it's not always like some of the experiences during the psychedelics can be beautiful you know beautiful and some can be not so beautiful um but they can be beautiful and it's but it's the integ- like it's cliche to say but it's like the integration that is the work really like how you go and live your life after the experiences mm. and that can be very challenging once you've realized uh, some of these things about yourself it, you can at times maybe be harder on yourself if you're not living how you feel you should now um yeah i know what you mean yeah that that can happen to me now i do <clears throat> just have to reconnect and realize that like it's only been the last two and a half years that I've changed my path. And it's like, I'm trying, first I thought I was trying to change um, the first 29 years of my life and my conditioning, but it's going back fucking hundreds of years. Mm. You know, it's going back hundreds of years, things that are ingrained in my cells. But do you find that that's your experience now because you're, you've done you? If you know what I mean, like I find that what I'm experiencing now in medicine journeys is like ancestral because I've got to the stage where Mark Toner is pretty fucking good. I know what to do. You get in the ice bath, you know, meditate for 20 minutes and I can be like, okay, right. I'm a monkey and I'm just here now. Mm. Everything's cool. But then when I do a medicine ceremony, I'm like fucking releasing the famine. I'm releasing (laughs) the chaos. Like it's, Mine has very much become this experience of like, it's no longer the stuff that happened in your life. It's, it's the generational stuff that's in your cells that has, and then you can, then you can, you can go so far down this rabbit hole, but really it comes back to that human part of us that always questions and wants to know more. What I've been working on the past couple of weeks is just silence in that part. You like, were saying that to me, I think, mm, once you in the message. Yeah, it's that insatiable hunger that we all have. That's like this again, my mentor, Rachel, massive props to her. Like she lives in California. So I think there I kind of see the world as there's there's hot spots in the world. Definitely, definitely Brisbane, where I was, had a little bit of this too, where they're a bit further consciously developed than we are and i find that maybe the challenge sometimes living in ireland and you know being maybe early to this work or newer to this work or it's becoming more mainstream and we're at the kind of early stages of that like to really understand the human experience we're always looking for safety we're always putting the feelers out constantly and part of that is us always questioning is this safe is this is this a way to live is this the way to do it instead of being present and when you were speaking earlier i was thinking like what i have done a lot lately and i feel that you maybe are similar is like when you live in the heart it's vulnerable mm. and then you go back into the head and you're like is, is it okay for me to be like that is it is it cool for me to live in the heart here and hug man is it like you go back into that kind of bit and it's this constant challenge and the ultimate goal is to live here always and whereas i spent you know maybe 30 years of my life not knowing that this was i thought the art the heart literally pumped blood around the body as opposed to the ayahuasca the retreat we were on showed me it's this just force of 
unconditional energy, unconditional love always. But then we go back up in here and having spent the last two years working with different mentors, one of the, one of the big things I took from that was we have been designed to reward ourselves based on the hard work that we do. So if you work hard and if you do everything and tick all the boxes, then you can buy something or you can go to the cinema or you can have a reward. One of, one of my mentors the last couple of years said to me that you should put your diary down at the start of the week. And the first thing you do, the most important thing you do is put in the areas where you're putting your self-care in. And then your week materializes around that. Mm -hmm. So that is something that I do now first. Uh, Wednesday night is, you know, breath wave night, although I'm, I'm actually missing it tonight. But uh, Muay Thai in Belfast on a Thursday morning, I enjoy going to that and working with a coach one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I do cold water therapy at least four times a week. So I factor all that in. And then I let the week happen around that mm. keeps me so much more centered than saying, right, if I get all of these things done, then I can buy some shit or I can, you know, do something else external as opposed to the self-care is like, look after the internal and then the external look after itself. Yeah. That's a very, that's such a good point there. Mm. It's like, I've even noticed myself at times wanting to get everything done work-wise before and then if I have time, I'm sometimes I, I don't do it much anymore, rarely, but I was sacrificing the, the meditation or the, um, the Brett wave or Brett walk sauna or something sauna, like yeah. any of those things. I was sacrificing mm -hmm. them. If I didn't have the if I felt I didn't have the time, there's, you always have the time. Mm -hmm. And that's something I got from you actually. Um, you know, I used to sometimes say I, if I have time and, Comics just a huge thing of. <laughs> I love being on time for things. You love being on time, but also people saying they don't have time for something like that. Mm. It's like it's, bullshit, it's right? one hour, 10 minutes out of how many fucking hours in the week and you can't commit to that. It's like, fair enough. That's okay. But it's don't say you don't have time because you do. But again, it's just that fear. Like Ooh, yeah. I've started to take some breath wave sessions at the gym. Yeah, I was going to get to that actually. How 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 did how was that going? And did you did you just feel called to do that? Because you've been doing Ronins for a long, long time, haven't you? I did Ronins since I'm on some some ridiculous streak of like seventy eight or eighty weeks without missing it. You're missing so it tonight. Uh, I'm actually missing it tonight. Tonight's the first night. Uh, the reason why is I I'm trying to make. I'm actually, it's weird. I'm actually starting to prioritize sleep. So what was happening is Wednesday night had become a real ceremony and I'd either do breathwork. Sometimes I'd do cacao and breathwork. Sometimes I'd do cannabis and breathwork. Sometimes I'd do psilocybin, but it became a real ceremony. But what I find has happened is I, after it, I don't get to sleep till like 11 PM, sometimes later. I and don't I go, ideas. Yeah. yeah. And I go to Belfast at Muay Thai and I'm up at five. I leave at half five to go to that. So and what I was finding was it was making me really tired Thursday and really tired Friday. So I, what I've come to learn is I can do the recordings in my own time and then, you know, get some, like the importance of sleep, I think is something that we're completely overlooking in society today. Like eight hours is, you know, minimal almost like our bodies need it. And the correlation between 
don't get me wrong, I enjoy coffee as well. But the amount of people that I see in life today that are living off five coffees a day, zero sleep, and constant technology. Yeah. Like it kind of nearly reminds me of the 2018 me. Like possibly people that are just hanging on. And yet all of this stuff is now available. You know, like we're promoting it, we're talking about it. But so the breath thing at the gym, I, I did the oxygen oxygen advantage course. Uh, Patrick McKeown, is it? Patrick yeah. McKeown, yep. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting that an Irish man knows so much about breathing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even more interestingly, is he doesn't ever mention that you can open your mouth to do it. No, it's mostly nasal. Yeah. Yeah. So the spiritual side is obviously something that Ronan. I met. I met Ronan on. My first ever San Pedro experience. So Ronan was in that circle. And I suppose two hours earlier or four hours earlier, I'm lying in the field in the breath wave without ever knowing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then we're sitting around after San Pedro. And at this point, I'm still looking at my tattoos while they're moving. And we've been invited back down to eat at the end of the ceremony. So all the lads are talking. There's one, I think it was one girl there. And I'm like, fuck, my tattoos are still like spinning. I was just sitting in silence and Ronan was like, are you all right? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he was trying to have a conversation and I was just like, fuck, I have no idea what just happened there. I've relived the trauma from my ancestors of being in some breath thing where it felt like me and the earth just became one. And I'm like trying to process it. I'm like, leave me alone. And <laughs> We get talking, uh, and myself and Paul, Paul was there as well. Oh, yes, yes. Ronan says, have you ever tried breath work? And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, I meditate. And he was like, it's like meditation on steroids. I was like, okay, right. That, you know, and I was a Dr. Joe Dispenza fan, so I was – uh, meditating for two hours a day wasn't uncommon to me and uh, the next wednesday i jumped on the breath work and i had an experience that was probably as deep as the san pedro experience in in some ways like not 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 exactly the same but definitely as a, a connection to spirit so from that i never actually missed one till today till now so that was well, that's, that was a while ago. That's proper consistency. We we're only talking about consist- the power of consistency the other day. Mm. That's what it is, Dave. <clears throat> um, yeah, I was thinking of just going back to something you said there about like, the. I think there is a balance with this stuff too because I'd be the same. Daryl would probably be the same as well. Like, like you are, where we're always curious to know more. And like, you can go down a bit of a rabbit hole at times. And like, sometimes I actually pull myself back from like any spiritual stuff because I'm like, I'm trying to figure out an answer to something that there probably is no answer, you know? And we did a course with Jamie Wheel there last year and he was just like, one of the kind of suggestions was just like, let the mystery stay the mystery. But whatever it is in us humans or um, us anyway, is like that curiosity to know more. And like one of my mates, Teen, even said to me the other day, he's like, are you going to allow yourself to be happy now or something? Because I'm just, I'm always like 
there needs to be more. I need to get this answer. You know, I'm always looking what else, what other shit do I have to uncover from my past trauma to heal myself instead of just being like, fuck, maybe I'll never get to it all. And maybe we just have to learn to be happy with this, you know, with who I am now. So I think that's a balance that I'm trying to get. It's like, you know, I'm trying to do practices like my mornings now is like meditating, a bit of qigong, dancing. Because I'm like, that's as important as, you know, going on these deep journeys. Like just mm. them daily little, like what brings you joy day to day? Because you can spend your whole life digging and forgetting to actually like enjoy yeah. the sunshine, you know. We can just keep digging. So I think that's just, mm. I think something we all need to be wary of. But it's, it does kind of creep up in you again, that curiosity after a while, which I don't think is a bad thing. It's just remembering to enjoy the whole journey because you can get caught up in it too much too the so, answer to the question the answer to the question is there is no question mm-hmm. that's the only way we get out of it i think because yes. constantly like it, it ram das 101 be here now mm-hmm. and that's the challenge that's the fucking challenge as soon as you are anywhere else you're just you're not in that thing that you're doing mm-hmm. you've just triggered something with me there while you were talking something from last night i woke up from a dream and I had a realization. Now I should have fucking wrote it down. <laughs> I should have wrote it down. But my dreams, mm. like this, for the last number of years, they're stressful. Like I wake up sometimes and I'm just like fuck. Like I relapse five times a five times a week in my dreams. Do you know? Mm. Like, um, and I know that that can be symbolic. I was told like you know don't necessarily mean anything to do with relapse, and it's just your brain's way of looking at whatever might be going on but um a lot of the time i woke up in the middle of the night last night or i don't know when it was if it was just after falling asleep because that's usually i wake up within the first 10 minutes with a with a panic um and this is most nights but last i woke up yeah it must have been this morning and it was in my dreams i'm always trying to get somewhere and i can't get there I just can't seem to get there. Things keep popping up, getting in the way. And it's like pure stress, pure stress. And I wake up and I still feel some of that. When I'm awake, I can still feel like in the first five minutes, I'm just like, don't feel very rested. It was like just a stressful, stressful dream. And it's, I realized when I woke up, must have been this morning, um, that I think what that's trying to tell me is, is just that stop, not stop searching for things, but just stop trying to get to a destination. Um, I know there is no destination, but I think sometimes I'm half, I'm like, okay, when I, when I, when I uncover this, or when I, when I've done X amount of ceremonies, I'll, I'll be much calmer then. Yeah. Or I think I'm, I need to bring myself more, basically, simply more present, you know, because um, mm-hmm. I have a lot of stuff planned and I think I'm spending a lot of my time being like, what will I be like by the end of that? Mm-hmm. What will I be like by the end of this? Like, where will my head be at then? Will I still get, um, will I still have these thoughts by the end of this? Do you know, it's like always, like you said, just being too hungry nearly. It's like, I'm at, a place now that I never thought I'd be at. Just be a bit more grateful for that and 
bring yourself back to the present. And that's what I got when I woke up. I was like, maybe that's what these fucking dreams are constantly trying to tell me because that's what it was. It was like a little light bulb. I was like, I'm always trying to get somewhere and just feeling like I can't get there. It's like, you don't need to just like be here now, be here now, <laughs> you know? So even, even like you said earlier though, is that like, once you get into this world, once you start like, understanding this stuff you want everyone to wake up yes big time yeah like as if that is ever going to happen or as if that's gonna like i trip myself up with that one so much whereas like like if like in in the breathwork things that have been running at the gym like you know wanting everybody to have the experiences that i have yeah to mm. heal themselves and then there's a there's a term I have on my desk here, actually. It's called HILA, high intention, low attachment. And Ooh. me and Leah will remind her. Sorry, say that again. HILA. It's just as like a abbreviation mm. and it's high intention, mm. low attachment. Mm. Mm. Because we are, this is something that me and Leah will remind each other of. Just like if we, you know, like we obviously we run CrossFit infected or like the breath work is something that we really want to step into now and really want to, you know, like run consistent ceremonies and kind of make it potentially at some point, maybe make it a career path or make it, make it an additional, additional part of our lives. But, and so, so I've, I've, I've hosted a couple of them now and the ones that had the most deepest changes there was there was one woman in particular who had a profound experience it was like a psychedelic experience like i had to like kind of take her back to this reality and i know when i was facilitating that as as i was leading the breath in the middle of it i was dancing i looked around at leo at one point now we've only done three we we the crossfit open comes around each week each year in february and in the lead up to it, we do some workshops to hey, try and you know improve people's CrossFit. And we said, look, we're going to run some breath work after the workshop. So the first night we got 15. I, I had no idea if there was going to be anybody. Like literally, Leah said to me, are we doing this? And I was like, if anybody stays. We got 15 the first night. We got 21 the next night. The third night we got 15, but it was the first week back after Christmas. And because I had the... The confidence of I've always ran group classes. I've been like, I've, like I can coach a hundred people doing CrossFit at one time. It wouldn't phase me. So I was by the third one. I was pretty confident in the space. It's kind yes. of like I said earlier about just dancing and being present. I looked over at Leah at one point and I'm just dancing to the music, and the people in front of me are dropping deep into this almost psychedelic experience. And, and why is that happening? And I'm thinking because. At the core level, we're energetic beings. So we developed language, but we developed language secondary. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, we were telepathic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been in ayahuasca circles. We understand what that means, where we're, where we're telepathic in the same room. So if we can be present and have high, high intention, like I want them women to fucking go as deep as an ayahuasca experience, but low attachment doesn't matter to me what happens the experience is so much deeper because they're resonating with my energy as opposed to the words that are coming out of my mouth mm-hmm. 
So um, the more that I do this, the more that I trust it, and the more that I trust it, the bigger I feel it's going to get. Mm, yeah, understanding that and accepting that. Well, that's a that highlight. That mm. is um, that's a great one. Just because uh, it's you can use it everywhere. You yeah, can, be, yeah, me and Comic have spoke about that even just with Wolf Academy. Um, not to get too attached or to to let it become our identity, basically. Mm. Yeah, which yeah. which can happen so easily. You can, I can, you, I can easily see. I've sat and I've sat with it a few times. And like fuck, I could easily see. Like you know, I've sat with if if it just say was gone, was just taken away for whatever reason. Um, mm. And I've been doing that with a lot of things lately. Um, and it is, it, it's, it's a hard practice to stay unattached. Yeah, I went to a, I went to a fella recently and uh, he's like a massage therapist but he he's also like a spiritual teacher and we sat there chatting for about 40 minutes before I even got up on the table and he was just basically like certain people he's like God is different for every person he's like for you God is freedom because you are attached to too many things you're attached to your opinion your father your mother your girlfriend your friends and he's like, that's why you feel stretched because you're trying to keep up these attachments for who they, who you think that they think you are. So like, I'm expected to be play football because my father, you know, wants me to or whatever. He's like, you're trying to maintain <clears throat> Cormac Noonan as a person, a different person for different people. He's like, that's just too much to hold. He's like, you're attached to all these people because you want your, you know, external validation, whatever. And I was like, fuck me, I didn't realize I was so attached. Um, but then when he said it, I was like, I suppose I am. And I think everyone kind of, like, we all are. But he was like, your one job is to cut all those attachments. You know, it's like I'm in the middle and there's like strings coming out of me from every direction and they're pulling me in different directions. So it's like, how can you ever be your true self if and walk your path if you're being pulled in different left and right and back and forward onto different paths of what people think you should be. So the way he explained it to me, it was like, that's to get to freedom for me is cutting those attachments. Like he's like, even with your girlfriend, it's like people say, Oh, you sit in my heart and I sit in your heart. He's like, no, that's bullshit. He's like, you sit in your own heart. Yeah. You're, you shouldn't even be dependent on their love. And it's like, I know that concept. Like, yes, I have to love myself, but he's like, it's kind of easy for us to just, you know, put that attachment on someone else. It's like, oh, I don't have to, you know, worry about myself anymore. I can, it's that safety thing. So I was like, for me, that's all I have to do. It's like, there's nothing, you know, and I've still, I'm reading all the books and I'm that curiosity to learn more, but it's like, you already know what you have to do is just get rid of your attachments and then you're, you're free and that's it. And then, it, then you can be present because you're not thinking, you know, what did they think of me or, what happens if this doesn't work or if I don't achieve that goal? And it's just, yeah, no attachment to any of those things. It just allows you to be present because you can kind of force yourself to be present. And that's kind of, you're like, I need to be present and that's hard. But when you just, I think when you cut those attachments, you can get those moments where you just drop into presence. It's a hard thing to do. Oh, Jesus. How do you find in the work that you do now when you go into schools, how do you find 
kids today like are they are they are they fucked or is it like what i I often it's something i reflect on i have a i have a nephew who's 10 and i just started coaching him in muay thai because i was like like i was like he's got to a stage now where i can kind of connect with him and he play like soccer is a sport he loves it and like i don't i don't think fighting's good fun like it's not enjoyable like but but there's a lot of reward in knowing how to do it. Mm. So we, he's only done two or three sessions, three sessions, I think. Mm. He, played, he was man of the match on Saturday and he scored a goal. And I, I, was, I just know it's coming from like his inner confidence. But me and my brother, his dad, to talk about it a lot, like he's at that stage where he's, he wants a phone and he's not getting a phone yet because he's, he has another year before he's in secondary school. Mm how do you find the the youth like are they are they obviously i'm sure they're receiving this kind of work because it's it's so important but there's so many strings pulling them in different directions now that like and the big string is the one that no one can control which is the algorithm and what comes into their feed um we can both answer this i from me what i think or what i see is like you said with the phones like we didn't have, I think we might've been one of the last generations, I suppose, that didn't have social media in school. Um, cause that's one of the biggest things that all it's the, I know we compared, um, we definitely compared as teenagers going through school compared with each other, but now it's like comparing with the world, I think. And it's like, it's so much to take on. The insecurities are so high. Everyone wants to be the same. Um, People are like the teenagers, they don't want to be different in any way. Mm-hmm. They're afraid to ask a question. Now, sometimes you'll get it out of them, but usually we have to do a, a little thing we came up with where we give them slips of paper to ask the questions. And they have so many, but they won't ask in front of their friends. Do you know? So we have, we have found a way to get it out of them, mm-hmm. um, which is great. Um, and they are very receiving of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But it's no good us going in for one-off talk once a year. Yeah. Like that stuff doesn't work. It, 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 it didn't work for me when I started healing myself or looking into myself. It needs to be continuous. And that's what we've realized. So like what we want to come up with, which isn't really there, is a continuous program where it's a mixture between in-person, online, because we can't go be going in all the time. So you go in a couple of times a year. You have online programs, which you have already created for students to, um, they're called the Create Yourself programs, um, all coming from different coaches. Um, so there's something there for everyone. And it's like to do that throughout the year, so you have something continually there and then maybe a offsite retreat at the end. So that's a year-long program. Like we're doing a year-long program with a guy as well. And it's, it's that continuous, it's that continual thing that you need. Mm. And especially now, because like you said, they're receiving of it, we'll go in, we do different things with them. Um, like I did Qigong with a bunch of students the other day and even just feeling that energy in their hands, they're like, thought it was magic. Do you know It's like? And like feel so loose and stuff because they're just sitting at a desk all day long and inside not getting fresh air. It's anyway, mm. that's a different story. But like, well, it's not. It's all the same. It's like the school is a very unhealthy environment to spend your years where you're developing. You're developing indoors on a chair being told 
what to to do. Do you know? It's like mm. it's so backwards. It's insane. And like us coming in once a year to talk to them, they'll feel inspired, maybe, hopefully. Um, but that won't last if there's not something continual. They're going straight back into their phones, um, or whatever it else it is. Even and like, this is nobody's fault, but even to their parents' conditioning, mm-hmm. like you know, they're going back to that then as well. Um, like this online video game thing now is a huge thing. It's mm-hmm. like that's how they hang out is they sit on their own couches by themselves through headsets. That's the new way to hang out. Like metaverse is common. Yeah, like that's the new way to hang out. Mm-hmm. It's like, and then you have all this shit with COVID. Like people not learning facial expressions now. It's like, what are they going to be like when they get older? Mm-hmm. And how are they going to read? Like, it's just a total mess. I think the mm-hmm. world is in a total mess, and it, I don't even like thinking about it too much because it's actually the, it'll pull you down. How fucked up the world is. I'm not that optimistic. Like, okay. I, 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 I'm. I'm more optimistic, I think. Well, maybe it's a choice. But like, I, I feel like it could go either way. But to have, like, if you look at it, the other side of things, they have more resources available to them than they've ever had. Yeah. One of the Sorry, my resp- just, I still, yeah, yeah, I still, like, there's still from the feedback that, like, the yeah. students are getting stuff from what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It's just on a, on a scale of how, what's working against that. It's mm-hmm. just massive. So, yeah. Mm. But I think, I think the young generation has a lot of potential as well. I think they're like, they're more socially conscious than probably we were. Um, now, I'm not saying they should all be going out and, you know, fighting climate change before. Like, mm. I think you have to do your own inner work too. We don't want to like, discourage that either. Like, that the world is wrong and we need to change the world. It's like, well, look at yourself first. So that's kind of the approach we promote more. Mm. We're kind of like, you take control of your own life and um but just to use an example that like inspired me we did a we got asked to do workshops with the sixth class primary school like a local one and there was actually five groups of sixth class who were in there for the whole week but um one one of the exercises we did was to ask them what their dreams are and now they're like 11 around 11 12 um and I just remember this little girl saying, so it's just pure confidence. She was like, someday I'm going to be on Broadway and I'm going to be doing shows and all this. And I actually started tearing up when I, when I heard her, when she was saying it to me, because I was just, I could just see that enthusiasm and like belief that she had at that age. And I was like, I got this flash of her growing up to going into secondary school and just getting them dreams knocked out of her because you, you see it like you see like the, the teenagers and secondary school is just not having that dream it's like somewhere along the line it gets bet out of us and it's yeah. when we're younger they're like oh you can be anything you want to be and follow your dream and then but it's like that's bullshit because when you get older they start telling you you need to get a job and you need to do well in school or you're going to be fucked and you know broadway should that never that's never going to happen for you because that doesn't happen for anyone that's what mm. society will tell you so i was like if we can, I think we have a great opportunity to like help those young people foster those, like never let go of that dream. That's what I, that's what I actually said to her. I was like, you never let go of that dream, no matter what anyone tells you. Um, but it was like a profound moment for me just realizing like there is so much potential and there's so much like love and that young, those young people. And it's like somewhere along the line, they lose that. So it's like our job, all we have to do is, get out of the fucking way and not let them lose that 
that light. Um, so I'd be optimistic. I think there's like the young people probably will have a big role to play. And if we can be mm. do our work to not pass our shit on to them and just give them the space to grow and believe in themselves, that's all we have to do. Like, so it's up to them then to pull the other way and see like if they're ready to walk that path and, you know, be themselves. But I think I'd be optimistic. Well, yeah, now that you've said that, I suppose if, if everybody focused on themselves, mm. that's all you really need. Like it's like, I know not everybody's going to do it, but if people focused more on themselves, that would be a huge change. And I think it will take time, but like, it might not be in our lifetime, but like mm. our role, well, what, what I see like with Wolf Academy say is our mission, our mission at the moment. So, like we might not see the the grand vision where like everyone is you know empowered to be themselves and happy with their lives and like might not get there in our lifetime but like it may not that's not our job either it's like all our job is to do is to like start what we think we can do and help the people in front of us and like i used to have this kind of concept like i'm going to be the one to save the world you know probably because of my own insecurities. Like if I'm, if I become somebody, the world will love me. Um, so it's like, I'm still kind of letting go of parts of that. Like someone actually told me recently, he's like, I think your part of your healing is attached to Wolf Academy. And I was like, fuck. So like, I didn't think that, but maybe it is. So it's like, but I think when you let go of that need to like change the world, I'll just be like, I just have to change myself. Then, you probably have a bigger impact. Kind of like what you were saying, let go of that need to, you know, transform all these people with breath work. But you're, I'm doing it. You're doing it just out of love, not out of your own need for validation. And it's like, if we can just for work on ourselves, we'll naturally help others and we'll naturally get there eventually. It doesn't matter how long it takes. Um, but yeah. It's- what, what do you think you were saying? You weren't, you're not too optimistic. <laughs> Have you have you tried on the Oculus virtual reality headset yet? What do you call it? Oculus virtual reality? Mm. No, it's like I tried it. Mark Zuckerberg's going to create the metaverse. I haven't even heard of this. It's like it's the next internet. Mm. Really? Yeah. So in the it's gonna this is gonna happen quite fast. Like like Facebook is no longer called Facebook anymore. It's called Meta. And like even WhatsApp, if you look at your WhatsApp, it's changed to the word meta. I've seen that. Oh. I didn't know what that was. Yeah, I did, like, do you know, I never noticed it, but I have seen it and I only noticed because you said it. Mm. There's, a, there's a meta YouTube video of Mark Zuckerberg explaining this and it's fucking terrifying. You can basically put this headset on and you can like recreate your house. You can recreate everything. And they obviously understand a how a human works and they want to get it to the stage that whenever you put this headset on like you're just super addicted to it straight away and it makes me think of like if the kids now are you know online gaming is the thing next thing they're going to be going into this reality where they can be anything that they want to be and next thing is they will stay in it so the big companies like Nike have invested loads, and I don't even understand why Nike have invested loads of money in it. My brother bought a fucking farm in Asia. 
supposedly. <laughs> Your brother? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand it. Snoop Dogg, the boy who but some fella paid like 500,000 or something to buy the house next to Snoop Dogg land. It's, it's, I don't know, it's going off in a direction that I just can't even understand. And so the more I reflect on psychedelics and what that's opened us up to, I'm like, I see a world that it gets really bad before it gets better because I think technology is developing at a rate that there's no sanctions on it. There's no rules, really. Mark Zuckerberg's literally now going to make his own internet called the metaverse. And, and supposedly we get to a stage where like companies will all have their own metaverse. It's hard to even comprehend. Mm. And, and Bitcoin and the like, the cryptocurrencies will be what's used in it. And it's going to be sold as something that's really good, like Facebook initially was. And then it still shocks me. Like I'm, I never really was a Facebook fan. I had it for a while. I still have it because uh, we have some things for the gym on it. But but it still shocks me. Like where we live in Newcastle, there's a group called the Local, which is ten thousand people who live in the local area. Who maybe there is positive things that go up from time to time, but it's also a place for them to vent. So if we think like we're 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 more distant than we've ever been, we're more disconnected than we've ever been. We have billion dollar companies, the richest companies of all time, now leading the pursuit in trying to take more of our brainstem. A uh, the spike in suicides has risen in in the twenty years, I suppose, since Miranda killed himself is also the twenty years that social media has been released in uh, this the the correlation of suicides and and problems particularly for teenage girls are directly related i'm a pretty disciplined person and i can still see where i slip up and where instagram can become a problem and i mean i'm not saying there's not days where i get my i get my breakdown at the end of the week and i'm like how the fuck did i spend six hours on my phone this week then you add that to somebody who hasn't grew up as an athlete and grew up in a competitive environment where I understand what's required to be disciplined and the steps to go through. It, I, I do think that it's going to get worse before it gets better. I think what we use the internet for is maybe the realization and you know someone could listen to this and reflect and maybe change something about their lives. But I also think that The technology is moving so fast that they understand human psychology, so they know what they're doing. Yeah. And they are too powerful. It's kind of like the fucking creepy guy in your class who was really good at IT is now a billionaire. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. me when I I'd often talk about psychedelics on the podcast, and then the next thing that you naturally want to say is I don't want to be promoting this. And then the more I think about it, I'm like, maybe I should be promoting this because mm. it definitely separates you from that idea of who you think you are and the direction that it's going in is I think the biggest the biggest cause of death last year in America was suicide 
was overdoses, sorry, was overdoses. Oh. And it doesn't get reported because they don't, CNN and Fox Media, the main sources of media besides the Joe Rogan podcast, they don't want to show that the world is in crisis when really it is in crisis. And I know being in, you know, being in in Northern Ireland where fear was never too far away from our doorstep because we're not long out of the troubles. Doing my inner work now, and what I'm, what I mean by that is, I know what a regulated nervous system feels like, as opposed to an unregulated nervous system. And now I have the comparison between both, and I also know when I don't have it myself, and I know when I do my self care that I'm regulated again. And then when I see around me and I can feel it's more, it's more a feeling. I'm like, fuck, everybody is struggling. Mm. Yeah. We're struggling, like people are struggling. And I mean, it's what encourages me to come on the podcast today and to talk about it and, and to keep doing my podcasts. Like I get messages every week saying your podcast really has an impact on me. Like I thought I was the only one or whatever. And the truth is that like, and I've even learned this from having this conversation with you lads today, like we're all dealing with the same shit. It's, fucking, it's the carnage in our minds and it might look slightly different for everybody based on their lives but we're all struggling with the exact same thing mm-hmm. and then when you go one step above that are we is that what this life experience is, is about is to experience all of this and do we live in some delusion that that should just be all happiness mm-hmm. really I mean, the spectrum of love and fear are two ends of the spectrum, but they're both the same thing. And we have to experience all of it. Because, like, uh, one of the coaches at the gym, uh, Kieran, a very good mate, he was saying it's it, he, he wears shorts from he's like one of them people that wears shorts when it's fucking you're like it's not short season anymore mate. yeah <laughs> he came into the gym the other day in shorts and it's january but he was like fuck i can't wait to get the shorts back on because it reminds him of summer and we were saying like you know if you never knew that what the experience of winter feels like then you'd never during the summer you can't get me inside. I like to be in the back garden, just appreciating the sun and just appreciating the world. And then in the winter, I'm like, often I'm like, fuck this. Cause I lived in Brisbane where the weather's nice year round, but something I've been reflecting on lately is like, like good times wouldn't feel good if bad times didn't feel bad. Mm-hmm. And that's where like, as we spoke about, if we, if we don't attach ourselves to anything, like I've had glimmers of it over the past couple of years where I can nearly be in public in a present state where I'm kind of like behind my thoughts in public. And that's probably the place I'd like to be in a lot more often is to be in a place where I'm just observing my life as opposed to becoming attached to it because there's so much, there's so much to feel negative about these days, but, but then interestingly, there like there's a book called The Tipping Point. And I think the tipping point is is an interesting concept because it doesn't take the entire population to wake up. It takes 10% of people to wake up, and then the influence that they have wakes everybody else up. 
Mm. So like I noticed that even I noticed a positive in that in regards to what's happened in fitness in Ireland over the past. Like I came home from uh, Australia 10 years ago. And it was very much like if you didn't play GAA, rugby or run, then there wasn't fitness for you. Like the fitness lifestyle didn't really exist. Now the fitness lifestyle is massive. There's gyms everywhere. Like it feels like even in our local area, you know, there's probably 10 gyms. But then there's something that I've observed as part of that is where in the past, my grandfather went to the pub and abused alcohol. I see that now in the fitness industry so much that we become attached to whatever we're involved in because we're all looking to feel or we're all looking for the part that nobody understands, which is to connect to yourself, but we're looking for it in so many ways. And I've noticed this correlation of this change. We're now, I don't know if all the fitnesses that's happening, particularly in CrossFit or like people get addicted to it. I think what people have to realize is the human tendency to be addicted and then to start self analyzing or self-questioning themselves about that but i'd love to be more optimistic i think it's important to be be positive but when you look at the influence that social media has had and what's happened with the internet particularly for the next generation or the next wave where does it get better like who who's the person who makes this better how the governments are fucking too slow. Like these guys are too intelligent for the governments. Mm. So the only way we can make this better is by continuing to speak our truths, like mm. talking about it and and being a point of it's something that's really clicked with me actually in the last couple of weeks. Maybe I had COVID at Christmas. And whenever you have whenever your body is is sick, it makes you it makes you remember or it makes you re- reconnect to that part of yourself that realizes that like one day you're going to go to sleep and you're not going to wake up. So why, why not be the entirety of you now and fuck what anybody else thinks? So it's something that I'm really being like on my own Instagram a lot more lately. This, and it's a play. I suppose I'm only being it because I'm being it and it's a it's a being of I don't give a fuck anymore I've been through too much shit to actually care what anybody thinks it's what's funny like like my go-to humor I was there was talking about this yesterday on my Instagram my go-to humor is freak like my favorite humor is be do something fucking freaky so like I do freaky shit in the house all the time and Leah doesn't understand freak. She's not into like she said to me yesterday because I said on Instagram Leah doesn't like freak, and she was like, "I like it sometimes." But I'm like, "You never pretend you like it." And I was like, "Well, if I don't show that, and if I don't be that, then that doesn't open up anybody else to be themselves." Mm-hmm. And then if and then that's how it that's how it changes is if everybody just is authentically themselves. That's where the world's going to change. But we've been conditioned since, like, as you lads know, we've been conditioned since that secondary school age. Mm. The girl in primary school who wants to be in Broadway, there's going to be a girl in first year in school who's going to hear that story and come from a different background and come from a different home where her dreams aren't spoken about. And that dream will be ripped away from that wee girl unless... I don't know, unless maybe she listens to the podcast. 
<laughs> Send it to her. Yeah, that was, that's, you covered a lot there. And I think, but at the core of it though, is, it is like the good with the bad as well. Like I was actually listening to podcast on Aubrey Marx's podcast, this Mateus, yeah. and he was just like, he was talking about like past lives and he's like, or like some people say, like the Hindus, like, oh, we need to get off the wheel of incarnation, reincarnation so we can go back to just love and light. And your man was just like, he's like, that's fucking boring. If it was all just love and light, like, you know, you'd literally be bored. It's like, this is it. It's like, if you do anything for too long, you get mm-hmm. sick of it. You know, you just there sitting there in the, but it's like a nice hot bath. Like at the start, it's unreal. And then after a while, you're like, right, I just want to get out now. So <laughs> like when you kind of remember that, it's like we need the bad times and the good times. And as you said, if we can just step back, just remember to step back and watch ourselves and observe the whole drama that life is. It's actually amazing. And even the worst parts are kind of beautiful in a weird way. Yeah. Um, so and then but I like and as miserable as the future looks in certain ways when you there's so many factors I suppose going on like climate change and technology and all this but it's kind of like the way I like to look at it is like a movie and it's like the heroes or whoever they are will save the world will be saved in the end somehow yeah so, like might as well believe that story because that's kind of cool <laughs> that is that is a movie which movie was that Independence Day uh, most of them anyway um so yeah Mark there's a couple of questions that we usually ask mm. towards the end um one of them being what is your definition of success mm. my definition of success is being 100% authentically you uh it's something that I've been working on because although I mean you shouldn't be working on it, but the way we've been programmed, you have to kind of do the work to be, to, and it's maybe a confidence building thing. What happened with COVID-19 prior to it was we had a, like a pretty successful CrossFit affiliate. Uh, we had 130, 140 members the day we closed, which was St. Patrick's day, 2020. And I knew somewhere deep down that I couldn't continue living that life. And there was a couple of reasons why I one from a member's point of view, it was super successful, but behind the scenes, we had a small team and I didn't really grow it properly with the right framework of team in place. So even though we were doing like technically okay, financially, we didn't have the team in place to support like continuous growth. And then the second part was that fitness obviously means a lot to me, but I know that I could be super fit and still be looking at the rig thinking I want to hang myself from that one day. So I knew that I wasn't going back to that world in the same way. So I made some really tough decisions. I I made the gym half the size. So we cut the gym in half, which means half the people who were there are no longer coming back to train. And part of that was to one to have more of a work-life balance. But the second part of it and the more interesting part of it was I I was going to go back into the world doing things in my terms and in the way that 
resonated with me. So the thinking was, we'll make the gym smaller and we'll take some time. And in that time, myself and my partner, Leah, will find ourselves. So that's kind of what happening is happening. And in, in some ways, we have been under like financial pressure, not massive, but just more than we've ever been under uh, over the last couple of years. And in other ways, it's been the best thing ever because I've got to a stage now where like, I don't say it joking is like, I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. It's like the most important thing is, am I coming from the heart and am I happy with who I am? So that's been the journey with medicines. And that's, you know, that was in, that started in 2020 and now we're into 2022 and we've kind of, we've, we've hit the stage now where the gym is like half as big at the start. It was a lot lower and we had to work it or work our way back up because we ended up being closed for 14 months. So people, other people find other places to, to, to train. And part of that process is now a integrating the breath work in. So it's all about becoming more authentically me. So if someone said to me, you know, five years ago, you will get 21 people to be lying on the floor in the gym. What actually happened after the first breathwork ceremony as as I brought everybody around and and I invited them to sit up on their seats, I tried to speak and I just started crying. And like this is a guy who 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 fucking beat you up faster than you, he would cry. And I sat in tears crying and said to everybody, "This is what I want to do for the rest of my life." Mm. So if I've in some ways I, I, it's been a ballsy decision to you know stop something that's successful and come back and go we're only moving forward if it's authentically correct mm-hmm. like i'm like i have a younger brother who's a year younger who's doing super things in business he has three salons and he's he's doing well on paper now and you know you could slip back into the oh i don't have what he has created and stuff but what i do know is i'm not moving and this is something I say to Leah, I'm not fucking moving unless it's authentic to me. I'm not doing it anymore because I spent 33 years doing it and fucking hating myself every day, having glimmers of excitement and then going back to hate. So I'm in a process now where I feel more authentically me than I've ever been. And it is without care of of what anyone else's opinion is and it's taken time to get there and it's one of those things i'm like i have so much gratitude for the fact that i was in a position to be able to make that kind of call so be authentically yourself is is the answer wow okay Mm. yeah it sounds very i don't think i'm yeah personally not probably at that point and it sounds very freeing kind of see it in your face when you're saying it yeah you know, um, hmm. I just walk around all the time now laughing. Like people say to me, I've had a couple of girls in the gym actually recently say to me, they're like, why are you always laughing? Why are you in good form? And I was like, I don't give a fuck anymore. So <laughs> 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 it's got to the stage where I'm like, everything about this experience is inexplicable. Like it's <laughs> a cosmic joke. It's a fucking <laughs> Actually, yeah, it's all it a joke. It is, and I've yeah. had them experiences and yeah. moments where yeah. I think that. But I suppose to live from that would be, I feel very freeing. Mm. You should be laughing at yourself nearly every day mm. when you just when you get serious about something, then you catch yourself like, 
what are you actually, you know, you know, it's just, there's no reason to get serious and you're just trying to make it all serious. Area that is, is worth really putting the emphasis on is your relationship. Like we have been on, me and myself and Leah have been on a journey the last couple of years where like I knew growing up that I didn't want the stereotypical Irish relationship where and I had fortunate I was in, I lived in Brisbane, Australia for a while and had an Australian girlfriend. And I kind of seen like there was a, a, in some ways there was a different way to respond to each other, to see each other. The best quote I ever heard was from Wayne Dyer, which is two half people don't make a whole. Mm. So in parallel to me becoming more authentically myself, I've also had to, like we've had to have really serious conversations at home, like really serious, like, we are now representing something that's codependent and this is what we need to change here Hmm. starting now starting tonight (laughs) and it's taken the fear it's taken like the, the the risk of losing everything for the authenticity of having it a way that's perfect probably something somewhere where I always slipped up in the past. I was doing everything for a validation and it was often for like a partner in some kind of way, but to, to put the emphasis on like the, on the closest relationship to you and be like, right, we need to be two separate beings here. And anytime that it starts going like this, we need to, we need to change this. And, and, and the reason why this is so important is because this is your programming that you've seen in your house. You were, you know, you were the five-year-old looking at this and going, right, that's how I need to be. And interestingly, the more that I've, I've created that in my life, that sovereignty, the more now I see codependency everywhere. It's, we're so codependent because, because we are all at heart, just young kids, you know, small humans that wanted love and wanted that affection and it's I, I, Leah did do one podcast with me a while ago and now that I've spoke about it on this I'd lo- I, I hope she comes on again to we kind of tell that story and you spoke about Aubrey Marcus there I've learned a lot from he took his he was at all sorts of shit like I don't <laughs> would be at that but but to have that like like trust between each other where I'm doing Mark Toner period and and you don't get a say in that and you do Liam Muldoon period and we support each other as we grow into that but we never end up where we're doing things because of the other which is how our culture was built on you know the man was the dominant and he and he put the woman down in some way and and then you end up in the other of that where the now you see relationships where the woman is the dominant I see some of this life and the man doesn't get a say based on where he came from. I would say that has been massive in, in my kind of journey of healing is to, is to understand that really. And it's even something like moving forward that I've, I've often toyed with the idea of coaching that kind of stuff, because mm-hmm. that is, if we look at like, why are so many of us struggling? And then we look into the homes of those that are struggling, well, the, the person that you're clashing with the most is the person that you see every day. So it's having the separation and go, hold on, we don't get into a relationship and then we become merged together. I think you referenced a bit of that earlier, Cormac. It's like we are separate beings 
and we live under the same roof, but we're 100% separate beings. I think that is that would change the world if people lived like that more so. Definitely. Yeah, it's something kind of on my own journey with that and my girlfriend as well. So it's it's just interesting hearing you talk about it too. And I think it is actually something I've even thought about in the future whenever I've figured my shit out to coach people as well because it's such a powerful... Because I think <clears throat> one of the reasons we're here is to experience those really loving relationships with, you know, a partner. So, like, why not? I'd love to be able to find that myself. But I'm, I have it. But, like, you know, make that more unconditional love because it's still I still the ego comes in a lot so I think it's something that I would love to give to others as well so, but that's yeah we literally have meetings where you have yeah. bullet points and you literally sit down like it's a fucking meeting you're like this is a relationship meeting and you're like this this and this yeah. this does not make me feel good this needs to change or vice versa you know the first the first time that I ever called a meeting it's a couple of years ago now, and and I got to the stage where you know I just wasn't happy, and I was like, right. And I'd been listening to Aubrey, so I was, you know, I was aware that there was another way to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's all fun and games when when you call the first meeting, but then it's it's completely different when you're fucking called to the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, okay, right. So it's the other way around now, but that's. You know, that's the beauty of relationship is like it's it's an equal it's an equal agreement. And that's that's the that's maybe what needs to be reminded for people more so is whenever you come into friction like you will and like you always do, just just a reminder, you know, we are in this union, whatever it is, as an agreement. Whereas people, particularly I see this a lot with people who get married, uh have a funny opinion on marriage, but I I, I was coaching an Aussie girl. She was in her 60s. She had plenty of money and she was living with a German man. And I said, how come you aren't married? Because it came from Ireland and, you know, you get married when you're 16. And the girl said, uh, he knows and I know that at any moment I can get up, pack my bag and walk out that door. She was like, that's the best thing that we have in our relationship. Mm. <laughs> Really, it stuck with me. Like I found it really interesting, and it's you know we're talking about understanding our mind, understanding consciousness, and moving forward in that way. I think a massive area of work is is relationships and. Mm-hmm. Cheers, Mike, for coming on. I was um, I'm after taking a a lot from what you were saying there. Mm. A lot for me to go ponder on now. After <laughs> try not to go too deep into it, but um. Yeah, very enjoyable, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Cheers, so, lads. Thank you. I enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully, see you at a ceremony sometime soon. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure we will. Mm-hmm. <laughs>